So anyways, two voices, Paul and John. John, the disciple who Jesus loved. I'm sure, I know that Jesus loved all the disciples, but John knew it. He called himself in the gospel the disciple that Jesus loved. And then we have Paul, the great apostle of the Gentiles, who wrote so much of the New Testament, two powerful, influential voices. We're going to hear from Paul first in the letter of Galatians. We're going to be, the, the primary text is going to be the end of one chapter and the beginning of another. But I'd like to present to you that it's one complete thought, one uninterrupted thought. Because the chapter numbers in the headings, they weren't in the original context. These are letters to the church at Galatia. So it's, it's, it's different from the modern way that we read it. So don't let that trip you up. So we're going to start in Galatians 3.23 and go through 4.7. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Now, but, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the day set by his father. In the same way also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your, for your beautiful word. We thank you so much for your presence here. God, that you, that you don't just love us, you like us. You like to hang out with us. We're so grateful that we can call you friend, that you're not just some far-off ethereal force, but that you're in the room with us. God, we pray that your truth would be spoken today, and that anything that is not your truth would fall to the ground and be forgotten. We pray your kingdom come and your will be done in heart of the city church, in Coeur d'Alene, in Idaho, in the United States, and on this earth as it is in heaven. Have your way in this place this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um... How many of you guys have been joined the More series that we've been in the past several weeks? So we, we went into this More series in preparation for the sound, and it was just, the sound was such an amazing time. I mean, those of you, those of you who were there, I don't need to tell you about the sound because you know, we're a city on a hill and we cannot be hidden. Everyone knows that now because we sang it four quadrillion times. But it's good. It's our theme song. So, awesome. The sound was an amazing, amazing time. Today, we're going to be launching a new series. Well, this weekend, we're launching a new series called ID. ID, or you could say identity or identification. And if you're taking notes, um, the, the title for today is Abba. That's the, that's the title of the message, Abba. So as a worship leader, um, I tend to, this is very non-spiritual, but I tend to have kind of a, a general idea of, of the value of things that are on this stage, the monetary value, okay? I just kind of know that, like, what these pedals cost and what that computer costs and the mic and everything. So you might be able to understand that at times I feel a little sensitive when people uh, run or play on the stage because I know that all it takes is one step, and one step could cost $1,000. Um, and, and I can just kind of begin, if, I'm, if I see people on stage that are maybe 
behaving in a certain way that it seems like they, they're not quite aware of their surroundings, whether it's an adult or a child, um, I can begin to kind of flinch because I don't want anything to be broken. And it's just stuff, and it's not a big deal. I get it, but my blood pressure still rises. And so on Thursday night, uh, two Thursdays ago, we had this guest speaker. His name was Joel. And, and we had his wife, too. Her name was uh, Lindsay. Lindsay and Joel, right? Okay, and he was, they were, yeah, it was awesome, wasn't it? So Joel is over here, right, in this exact spot. And he's prophesying. It's awesome. And we're like, yeah. But I'm standing right over there, and I'm watching him. And he's doing kind of his spiritual sway. And he is like every, like, five seconds almost stepping right on. This isn't my computer, but usually mine's right here. And he's almost stepping out. And every time I'm going, <gasps> no, don't do that. And, oh, look at me. <laughs> wow. Um, and so eventually I just ran out on stage in the middle of, like, this really spiritual time, unplugged my computer, and took it back. Because I just didn't, I wasn't having it. It was just too much for me. I mean, I've had my stuff. I remember, okay, speaking of Joe Tuttle, one time at youth, we were worshiping, and he's dancing on stage, and all of a sudden just, at that time, I had one guitar pedal. It was a multi-effects pedal, and he just takes one big jump and crunch, and I'm going, and we're like in the middle of worship, and I'm like, Joe, there's no more sound. It's over. And he's like, <laughs> so I'm a little sensitive, okay? And a lot of times, who's on stage that I'm most concerned about is children. Um, and they like to do this thing, and, and they find it super fun, I guess. But they, they go up the ramps, and then they kind of like chill right here for a minute. And they look, and they're like, oh, Lindsay, Lindsay, no, okay. And they just get a kick out of it. Just so much fun. I almost envy them at how much joy they get about running across the stage. But um, usually what I find is that it's not, it's not like unorganized. There's usually a ringleader in these kids, okay? There's a... Kind of like the one who's calling the shots, all right? If, okay. One of those ringleaders uh, is a wonderful little girl named J.C. Brown. <laughs> the daughter of Craig and Jessica Brown. Um, and, you know, she's, she's good at it, and she knows how to lead. She's going to be a leader. I mean, it's very clear. She's like, she'll be over there and be like, okay, guys, we're good to go. <laughs> one time, though, one time really stuck out to me that she was on stage. Um, I don't think she was running around really, but she was just right around here. And an adult came up to her, and I'm not going to throw the adult under the bus because you're not the hero of the story, but I also don't remember who you were, so we're good either way. She was, she was standing right here, and this adult comes and says a very logical thing that you would say to a child concerned about their playing on stage and says, who said you could be up there? And I will never forget her response. And I immediately wrote it down on my phone. I was like, oh, my goodness. Her response was, my dad is Craig. Very matter of fact. No, 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 like, attempt to justify, like, like, I'm up here because I'm doing something important or, or like, or, or get all bashful and step down. No, she was confident. She just was, like, almost offended that someone would even ask. Be like, my dad is Craig. Are you thinking? Why even, why are you even asking me this? And, and I, and the reason why it struck me so deeply it's because she knew the, the authority and the influence that was tied to that name in this place. She knew that if she were to appeal to her identity via the identity of her father, that she was untouchable. And, and because of that, I wrote it down. I'm like, wow, that, that's going to that's gonna preach one day. That's going to preach one day. So I wrote it down, and, and he, here's my thought. 2017, right? That's what year we're in. United States of America current culture so incredibly obsessed with identity, 
so obsessed. You may have heard, I mean, if you, if you consume any kind of media at all, you know, you've probably heard this phrase, I identify as. And it's, it usually goes something like this. I identify as so-and-so, and you better not tell me that I'm, th- that I'm not this because I know I'm this because I feel like I'm this. And so you have these almost rid- ridiculous concepts that, that our culture has gone to where it's like, okay, so I'm Seth, and I, my genes, um, I'm actually the tallest person in my family, but I'm five foot nine, okay? So if I walk up to you, this is how ridiculous this got. If I walk up to you and I go, I'm seven foot six. I'm seven foot six. Obviously, that's how I feel. I feel seven foot six. And then, and then you have our culture who's gotten to this place where it's like, well, you know, as long as you're not having a negative impact on society with that feeling that you're having. And, um, and you know, I just, I just don't really feel like it's my place as another human being to tell you you're wrong. If you feel like you're seven foot six, you're seven foot six. Do we realize how ridiculous that sounds? I know that's a silly example, but I think that there's a reason why we're so obsessed and so defensive, so almost angrily defensive over identity, and it's because God has created inside of us a need, a desperate need for identity. And it's almost like we have this God-sized hole until we realize that true identity, and therefore we're just obsessing, going, I just want to be something. I just want to be something. I want to have some kind of classification. I want to be able to, I want to be able to tell people that I'm someone. And so we come up with all these little identities, all these little things about us that we stand on and say, no, I am this. Because we so much want to have a deep conviction in our hearts that we are somebody defined and who we choose to be. And I actually don't think that we're that far off base when it comes to the importance that we put on identity. Because it would be silly to deny the importance of identity for humans. The problem isn't that we put so much, in, put so much uh, importance on it. The problem is that we're choosing the wrong identities to defend. Because we're not, we're maybe unaware of our most basic, true, and real identity, we're defending all these other little ones that are just so, in comparison, they're just, they're just so small. And so... <clears throat> It's funny because most of those little identities are things that we, we use I feel statements. I'm this because I feel like I'm this. When our, our, our purest, most true form of identity really has very little to do with how you feel and has everything to do with who you belong to. Think about that. You know, our culture says, I, I'm this because I feel, I'm this because I feel, I'm this because I feel. But the realest thing that you are, doesn't matter how you feel. It's who you belong to. And... That's because the truest form of our identity is our sonship. And when I use that term today, I don't want to bring confusion. Sonship. You may, when you hear the word son, you may automatically think male child of parent. But I'm using that in a general sense today. I'm talking about daughters too. Sonship is just the default term, okay? You guys feel me? So I'm, I'm speaking to the ladies too. Sonship is sonship and daughtership. I don't even know if that's a word, but okay. I'm glad we understand each other. So I've been thinking a lot about this. Um, I see it's just kind of, we, get, we have this barrage of, I mean, if you scroll on Facebook at all, you're just like seeing identity is just yelling at you. And I've been thinking about the way that I hear in church culture, people saying, you know, I'm a child of God. We were just singing it today, right? I am a child of God, beautiful song. Or, or we're sons and daughters, you know, sons and daughters of the most high God. We say things like that. But then I see mindsets and attitudes and behaviors within the church of the very same people, including myself, y'all, that would tell me otherwise, that would, that would tell me, do you know what you mean when you say that? 
do I know what I mean when I say that? Do I, do I know what I mean when I say I'm a child of God, when I have sonship? I'm a son. And that's the reason why I really felt like, like God wanted to share some things, and he, and he put some things inside of me. And I really, I really felt a burden to study this out and look to the word and say, God, what does it mean? I don't want to just operate on emotion and just like the nice feeling of, yes, I'm a child of God. And I don't really know what that means, but I'm going to keep saying it because it makes me feel good about myself. But there are some absolute truths about what sonship is in scripture. And I think that now is the time for us to kind of dive into this. So first of all, children of God receive their sonship as a free gift. Just, just at a very basic level. Children of God receive their sonship as a free gift. Let's, let's take a look at our buddy John. John 1, 9 through 13. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This, we're talking about Jesus. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Very basic doctrine of the church, right, of Christianity is, I am saved through faith in Jesus dying on the cross uh, and, and being rose again, Jesus died on the cross, rose again, it's because of him that I'm saved. He was the ultimate sacrifice. Okay, very basic doctrine of salvation. But what, the problem is, is that a lot of times we just stop at salvation whenever we, at the place of, okay, I'm saved, I believe in Jesus, that's my get out of hell free card. And then we just kind of put it in our pocket, and then we go along the rest of our life, and we go, I know that one day when, you know, when I die, I don't have to go to hell. Yes, you know, that's salvation. And yeah, that's true, and that's good. Really glad that we don't have to go to hell. Amazing. Amen? Beautiful. But that's, that's a very shallow and, and limited view of what salvation is. It's, it's like we're getting one little piece of the pie and saying, oh, that's all that it is to, to be in Christ. And, and actually to be in Christ and to be a son of the Most High God is so much bigger than that, so much deeper than that. Let's say for, let, let's just, for the sake of the metaphor, let's just say it is a card. I would challenge us this morning, or afternoon now, to... Yes, let's say that there is a get out of hell free card on one side, but turn it around and see a brand new identity with your name and your face on it. Jesus said that we are, must be born again. Born again, born a second time with a brand new identity. You know, we carry around all these cards in our, in our, in our wallets, right? I don't anymore because I lost my wallet on Christmas Eve. What a terrible day to lose your wallet. <clears throat> But I used to carry, you know, around all those, you know, all the cards. Now I just carry like three that I absolutely need. I don't even have my insurance card, which I do absolutely need. And that was actually something we were dealing with this morning. Um, but nevertheless, a lot of us, we carry around all these loyalty cards, student ID cards, um, work ID cards, all these different things that are just ours. And, 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 and a lot of them are defined by, you know, something that we, we kind of get into a club of some kind. You know what I mean? But by the can we just talk about loyalty cards for a minute? If you have loyalty cards to 10 different coffee shops in town, you're not loyal to anyone in regards to coffee. <laughs> we should change the name of those or something. Like, where's your loyalty card? Well, I went to Starbucks yesterday and Dutch Bros the day before and Grumpy Monkey the day before and Java in Haven the day before and now I'm going to Strata. And it's like, you're not, they're not, we shouldn't call them loyalty cards. Nevertheless, that's aside. These cards that we carry in our pockets, think, think about how we get them. Think about how we, or we, we earn the rewards of them. You know, you buy 10 coffees, you get one free. You're like, yeah, I did my, bought my 10 coffees, I get one free. You know, your university one, okay, I got good enough grades, got, an, got, a, got a good score on my SAT, I wrote a nice little essay, and I made sure to include the, include the word diversity, and now I get accepted to the college. 
And then, and then, and then we, got, we, got, we got our work ID cards where it's like, okay, I have the right credentials, and I smiled enough in my interview, even though I have no idea what, what this position is, and I, and I certainly am going to need lots and lots of training, but hey, I'm happy about it, so hire me, right? And so we get our, little, we get our work ID card, okay? And we have all these things that, we, that we, we get them, and we get to use them because of something that we've done. But here's the thing, as God would have it, and this is so beautiful, as God would have it, the most important identification that you're carrying around is something that you can't do anything to get. You can't work for it. You can't have good enough grades. You can't write enough, a good enough essay. You can't smile enough in the interview. Because the truest identity, our sonship, is a free gift. It's a free gift. All we got to do is, it's like Jesus says, do you want me? Do you want me? No, do you want me? And then we're like, and, you know, we're ignoring him forever. You know, we're just like walking around being stupid and going, doing a bunch of stuff. And all of a sudden, you know, we, we come to our senses. We go, yes, Jesus, I want you. But what do I have to do to get you? And he's like, oh, nothing. Just say yes to me. What, what's the catch? Oh, no catch. Just say yes to me. Just, be, just believe in me. Just believe that, that I'm the one who saved you and, and call upon my name. And yeah, then we're good to go. Mm, that's not how the world works. I get it. But that's, that, the world is surrounded by sin and there's got a lot of brokenness in that. But just believe me. All you got to do is say yes to me. That's how sonship works. Because children of God have been chosen for adoption. You didn't work for it. You were chosen for adoption. Here from Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, is, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The, the, the verse I want to highlight right there is, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, it is not by chance that you are sitting where you're sitting today. It's not just because football season is over. It's not just because you didn't work today. It's not just because someone handed you a, a handy-dandy little touch card. It's not because you stopped hitting this news button after the 37th time. God has had his eye on you. The creator of the universe has, been, has had his eye on you for a very, very long time. And, and don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? I, I'm not trying to make a hardcore Calvinist uh, argument right now. I'm not preaching on the tulip. We absolutely do believe that humans have a responsibility to respond to Jesus, okay? We've got to say yes. We've got to believe, okay? We are justified by faith, okay? You guys feel me on that? But what that doesn't mean is that he hasn't been chasing you and wanting you and waiting for you to say yes the whole time. You were chosen before the foundation of the earth. You were chosen before the foundation of the earth. So the next time that you think that you just snuck in the back door of sonship, that you just, well, okay, yeah, I made it in, yes. That you think that you're invisible. That you think that, that God just kind of was like, yeah, I guess I'll take you. The next time that you think about that, I challenge you to have this thought process. He has wanted you before there was even an idea conceptualized in language of want or desire. He wanted you before then. You know, we take for granted language. We go, oh, want. I know what want means. I know what desire means. He has wanted you and chosen you before there was any language to describe that. You did not sneak in. And it was not by happenstance that you became a child of God. Children of God are not under the law and do not continue to live in sin. You feel me? 
children of God are not under the law and, I didn't say but, and there's a reason, and do not continue to live in sin. Okay, let's hear not under the law. Let's hear that. That's going to be encouraging. Galatians 3, 23 through 26. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law in prison until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Amen. Right? We're excited about not being under the law. Okay, now let's read from 1 John. Let's see if you're excited about this. We should be excited about it, but let's just read it. Little children, 1 John 3, 7 through 10. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. That's the word of God. Humor me for a minute. I am a child of God and I'm sleeping with my girlfriend. I am a child of God and I cheat on my taxes every year. I am a child of God and I'm holding unforgiveness toward my brother and justifying it. Those are oxymoronic statements. Now, again, don't hear what I'm not saying. Are we going to slip up? Are we going to make mistakes? Yes. Yeah, we live in a fallen world. Yes, we're battling against the flesh. But what the scripture says is that children of God will not continue in sin, will not make a practice of sin. You guys feel me on that? So, Seth, you just said we're not under the law. But as a child of God, I can't continue to sin? Kind of, yeah. If you know him and you abide in him, then sin isn't a part of who you are anymore. There's this distortion in the church. The way that we look at sin, we go, I'm a believer, and so I don't need to sin anymore. Or I'm a believer, and I no longer have permission to sin. And we elevate sin on this pedestal as if it's like it's the, it's the desirable alternative to righteousness. And it's so not. It's so not. We're not just living this Christian life and going, there's sin and I really like it. And it looks so good. But I'm just going to deny myself. I'm just going to deny myself and make, sure that I, and make sure that I live this life righteously. And it's going to be terrible because I'm just denying myself of the greatest things. But I'm just going to make. No. No. Sin is not desirable. Yes, it looks desirable when we're in that fallen state, but it's not. It's much, much lesser, much, much lower. Righteousness is something that is desirable. Being children of God means we get to practice righteousness. It means we don't have to sin. How beautiful is that? You don't have to sin. You're not a slave to it. Why? Why? How? How? How do we not get to sin? Oh, I'm glad you asked. It's because children of God have received and are led by who? The Holy Spirit. I love him. I love him. Romans 8, 14 through 15. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Mm. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit, capital S, of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The righteousness that you now walk in is not a you thing. It's a him thing. Because he dwells in you. Because of his presence, 
with you, guiding you into all truth. That is why you don't have to sin anymore. It's not because you're just extra good now. I said yes to Jesus, and now I'm good all by myself. No, that's self-righteousness, which is very different from righteousness, which in fact is the antithesis of righteousness. That's what the Pharisees were like, self-righteous. We are righteous because of one person and one deed, and that is Jesus dying on the cross, receiving the wrath of God on our behalf. We get to be righteous because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Children of God are not separated by race, gender, or nationality. Oh no, he's about to get political. Nope, he's about to get biblical. Galatians 3, 28 through 29 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. However that works. Thank you, Lord. You are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Now you may be like, Seth, why would you make that point? I'm not racist. Seth, why would you make that point? I'm not sexist or chauvinist. Come on, I mean, I'm, I'm a good Christian. Why would you make that point, Seth? I don't think I'm better because I'm American. I don't do any of those things. Well, let me ask you, does it make you uncomfortable for me to tell you that the United States of America does not have a corner on Christianity? In fact, it belongs to us neither originally nor exclusively. In fact, again, Christianity was born in the region of the world that probably makes you and me feel most uncomfortable. Whoops. <laughs> Dang, that's an inconvenient truth. Let me ask you this question. Do you find yourself identifying more closely with Christians, with your Christian brothers and sisters in Japan and Ethiopia, or with your atheist buddy down the street whose skin color and bone structure and hometown looks more like yours. Who do you feel closer to? You don't have to answer that. Who do you identify with more? Think about it. I'm not, I'm not bringing this to you as, as condemnation. Please believe me because every question that I'm asking you guys today, I asked myself this week. And it, was, uh, it, was not, it wasn't fun. It was not fun to ask myself these questions and go, wow. Just when you think that you don't hold any of those things inside of you and you realize, what do I identify more with? Do the descriptions of middle class or upper class, white or black, male or female, come to mind before child of the most high God? Look, I don't want anyone to feel bad. That's not the point of what I'm saying at all. I don't want you to feel bad. What I'm, I'm challenging us to do is to change our mindset about what it means when someone asks, who are you? Who are you? Describe yourself in 10 words or less. Think about that right now. Just in your own head, describe yourself in 10 words or less. I'm kind of cheating because I know the next question. Was one of those 10 words son? Was one of those 10 words daughter? If not, church, we need to repent. We need to change the way that we think. Because that is our truest and most basic identity, is that we are sons and daughters of God. Okay, stones under the seats, right? Okay, children of God are royalty who suffer. Let's read the word. Galatians 4, 6-7. 
And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of a son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We are celebrating. That's good news, right? We are excited to be heirs. We're excited to be sons and daughters. Okay, now Romans 8, 16 through 18. Let's keep celebrating, y'all. The spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. Still marching along. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer. Provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Seth, that doesn't fit in my theology. And I'd appreciate it if you would stop teaching things that don't fit into my personal theology. It doesn't even make sense for you to say that we're royalty who suffer. Who in all of history was royalty who suffered? What was his name? Oh, Jesus. Jesus was his name. Royalty who suffered. It's the beautiful paradox of our sonship. That yes, we're heirs. We're princes and princesses, okay? Heirs to the kingdom of God. And at the same time, we're going to struggle. You know, I, I see this kind of, this kind of dichotomy in the church, and we, it, you kind of lean one way or the other. Just, just feel me. And if I'm not talking to you, I'm not talking to you, so don't get offended, okay? So I'm, I'm over here, okay? I'm a child of God. I'm royalty. Everything I pray is going to happen right away, and it's just going to be great, and I'm going to have lots of money. I'm going to have lots, lots of cars. I'm going to be successful in business, and it's going to be awesome, and I'm going to be blessed with everything I do. I'm blessed, okay? Over here. And hopefully, hopefully I can just make it through this terrible, painful life. And one day I can meet Jesus and then it will all be worth it. Last service, I talked while I was out like this. And Joel, I learned. See, I brought the mic back to my mouth before I started talking again. We have this split. And really what we have to understand is that those two things, although it may not make sense to us because his thoughts are not our thoughts, exist together at the same time that yes yes he wants to bless you he has great thoughts toward you yes he wants you to be abundant yes you're going to struggle too and if you don't believe that read the book of james romans 8 is not the only is not the only chapter in scripture that talks about the children of god suffering it's going to happen but here's the beautiful thing according to the way that paul described it that suffering is going to be like a drop in the bucket compared to the glory that is about to be revealed to us amen Listen, turning to Jesus, we got to get this. Turning to Jesus is not the end of your problems. It's the end of facing your problems alone. It's the end of facing your problems as an outcast. It's the end of facing your problems without a daddy to cry to. That's what it is. If we enter into this, into this life of a disciple and this life of, of a child of God thinking all oh, my problems over, we're going we're gonna to live in this deception and this distortion and think that God's not blessing us and that he doesn't love us because I'm going through struggles. That's why it's so important that we're in the word so we don't believe those deceptions of the enemy. The enemy will do anything he can to lie to you, to convince you that, oh, no, he doesn't, God doesn't really like you because you're struggling right now. Children of God are royalty who suffer. I want to end with this. Omar, are you, you around, bro? Oh, there he is. The man behind the wall. 
Children of God are loved relentlessly and eternally by the Father. 1 John 3, 1a says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. And then Romans 8, who is just talking about our sonship, just talking about being heirs, just talking about suffering. Verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you have been tuning me out for this entire time, I forgive you, but listen to me right now. The children of God will never, ever be separated from his love. There is nothing that can separate us from his love. Nothing that can separate us from his love. No matter whatever storm we face, whatever challenge that we're facing, whether it's in your marriage or in another relationship, whether it's a sickness, whether you just lost your job, whether you just totally messed up and cussed your friend out, nothing's going to separate you from the love of God. Quit being so insecure about his love. We can't walk around as insecure sons and daughters. It makes him look bad. We have a much better God than that. Sorry, please stand with me. just got to be obedient right now. Is your name Savannah? Is that your name? Man, God placed this word on my heart a few weeks ago and I was not obedient to share it with you and I apologize. But he has it for now. God says you are worth pursuing. You are worth pursuing. He's seen you in times past comparing yourself among, among your sisters. Looking at, oh, should, I, should I be further along? Should I be here? Should I be there? Should I look like this? Should I dress like this? Should I act like this? You are worth pursuing, and he should know because he's been pursuing you the whole time. And you, need, and, and you need not walk around wondering if you are desirable because God has already set apart an amazing husband for you that is going to love you like you've never been loved, that's going to treasure you like you've never been treasured except by him. I just feel like I needed to share that with you. to 
Jeremiah. I love your name. There's a reason you're named the way you are named. Because you are meant to be a speaker of God's truth when it's inconvenient, when it is a challenge to the people, even when it's inconvenient to yourself. And God says to you this morning, this afternoon, that the way you're living right now, he's not, he's not calling you out and saying, oh, Jeremiah, you're doing so bad. No, he's saying there's so much more than what you've settled for. There's so much more in the body of Christ. There's so much more in your spiritual giftings. There's so much more. And you don't have to work for it. You just have to say yes to it. Just say yes to the gift that is inside of you, Jeremiah. Just say yes to the love that is inside of you, to the compassion that is inside of you, to the tenderness that is inside of you, to the understanding that is inside of you, because God has placed all those things in you. And all you have to do is say, yes, Dad, okay. You receive that? Mm. Come on, let's sing it again. Abba. As we're singing that this morning, I want to ask you a question. Can you sing that with all confidence and honesty? When you're singing those words, or maybe are you singing those words, are you not singing them because you can't sing them honestly? Does that, does that statement, Abba, I belong to you, does that resonate with your spirit? Do you know that you know that you know that that's true and that no one, no power of hell can pluck you from his hand? No scheme of man. Do you know that you know that you know that you're his son and that you're his daughter? When you sing that, is there a, is there a celebration or is there an angst inside of you because, God, I want to believe this, but I just don't know. I just don't know. Are you my daddy? Do you care about me that way? Was the cross for me too? Was that for me too? my part of this? And he says to you, yes. He says to you, yes.